Welcome to this episode of Life Beyond Our Wildest Dreams, a podcast where we discuss what we have earned through our recovery. The podcast does not endorse any specific recovery programs and the opinions expressed here are those of the guests only. Today, I'm excited to be here again with Dr. Gigi Langer. Gigi prefers always to not use doctor, but I, with her permission, I like to address her as doctor to show the point that she has achieved this through her recovery and this title and through her professional um, designation. So Gigi is going to give us an overview today. We did Gigi part one. Today we're going to do Gigi part two and just explore a little bit more and a little uh, wider scope of what we discussed before on how to reject negative thoughts a little bit about the whispered lies, my favorite, and also tips if you're new in recovery. And uh, so without any further delay, Gigi, welcome again today to part two. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here, Denise. Thanks so much. We're always glad to have you. So Gigi, we discussed a little bit about some of the things the first time and some of the things in your book are just so extensive that it doesn't warrant just you know, part one, we can't get into it enough. So I thought today maybe we would discuss a little bit further with people. I'm thinking that, you know, November, December, we're coming up to holidays. We've been in a really, really stressful time with COVID. I'm doing the series on mental health uh, recovery as well and dual diagnosis with some folks uh, later this month. So maybe you can just uh, go ahead and uh, lead into a few of the things you wanted to discuss that are important today about overall recovery and new recovery and some helpful tips for people using the tools in your book. So any, why don't you just go ahead and we'll go from there. Great. Well, as we might remember, I'm the former queen of worry. <laughs> and that's because when I... You know, I stopped drinking and using drugs and so many things in my life got better. And I was still struggling with that um, negative thinking, the worrying. And uh, and I, as each tough situation would happen in my life, chronic pain or um, a situation at work of extreme stress or other what seemed at the time crises, I would then seek out ways to help myself through it. And so sometimes they would come these tools that I put in my book called 50 ways to worry less now. (laughs) (laughs) Those tools um, I actually learned about and gained and used successfully to help myself through all these situations that came up after I quit drinking. Uh, So I thought, you know, Denise, you and I talked about maybe making sure that what I suggested and what we talked about today would be relevant to um, people new in recovery. I know a lot of our people we know um, online are facing their first Thanksgiving with their family, their first Christmas with their families. um, And it can be a pretty stressful time. So, you know, we're thinking of ways to really help ourselves stay sober. And one of the key things, of course, is that we can't do it alone. So when I got into sobriety, I had two main people who were my quote unquote supports, you know, my man, my lover, 
sometimes a husband, sometimes not, <laughs> and my using buddy girlfriend. And those were the two people that were my go-to people. And so, you know, I had really had trouble with the relationships and because I was using alcohol and drugs to numb my feelings. So no growth was really possible. Then all of a sudden we get into uh, recovery and we don't have those drugs and things to um, numb our feelings. And then our, our good friend that we used to go and drink with all of a sudden is really not that much fun to be with. You know, there's nothing worse than being sober when you're around someone who's drunk. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they don't seem to be that helpful of a friend. And also, it's hard to be around them when they're still drinking and supposedly not having any negative consequences. So the question becomes, how do we find new friends who are sober and usually we suggest people who have no romantic attraction for you. So in my case, that would have been other women. And it that was hard because when we're drinking and partying, we think, oh, those other people who don't, they're just dull. They don't have any fun. They're just goody goodies, you know. Boring. Yeah. So usually I think the easiest place to get the new friends is through going to uh some kind of structured program with which has meetings where, and I like women's meetings. Um, I started out with a 12 step thing and still I went for six months, three times a week and I didn't make any friends. I ran in the room before, you know, just as it started and ran out of the room when it ended. Cause I was, <laughs> you know, I didn't trust the, anyone to be purely, um, caring and with no agenda. You know, yeah. other, other groups I had tried to be in didn't really demonstrate that. So it took me a long time. But then after a while, I kept hearing these other women say, well, I called my sponsor when I was really confused about this. And she was so helpful. And, you know, talking about their sponsors. And then suddenly I said, oh, I want one of those, you know, <laughs> to myself, because it was so hard to imagine that someone would think I was worth their time because yeah. I didn't think I was. And yet, because, you know, of the acceptance and the care of the women in the program, and because I was continuing to progress spiritually, um, just the right people came into my life, just the right women. And, and I began to have, you know, one healthy female friend, and then she had some buddies and we, you know, would get together and, you know, sometimes it was coffee before or after a meeting, but pretty soon I had a few healthy, sober friends. And don't you think too, that when we're drinking and when we're in addiction, I know that I never had any relationships with the women, you nope. know, um, and even being a gay woman, I just stuck mostly with the men. And I think, you know, for a lot of straight women, they're sticking with the men as well and the drinking. And so this whole thing with women, usually it's such a competitive thing with women that we don't really engage in those relationships or I didn't. So going into recovery and all of a sudden entertaining that relationships would be with these women who I knew them only to be competitive and people I had to watch out for in the bar. I just thought, mm, I wonder how this is going to work. So I think sometimes for people, that's a real, like you said, 
we need these people before we can really develop the trust. And so it's kind of scary. Very true. Very true. Yeah, I knew how to use my little wiles and, you know, eyelashes and etc. with the men, but I had no idea how do we relate to another woman yeah. where it was just plain communication with no manipulation or agenda. It yeah. was such a relief to finally learn that that was possible and to experience that. But I would say uh, being new in recovery and not yet having any sober women friends is difficult. So if you can force yourself to get to meetings and interact with people, even on Zoom, um, you know, if the groups are small enough and intimate enough, you can usually find a few people who would say, yeah, I'll give you my phone number, give me a call, you know? <laughs> yeah, and even with Zoom as well, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think as well, there's a safety in Zoom. Yes, you know, there is. In the rooms, you know, how nerve wracking mm -hmm. it is when you first walk in those rooms. Mm -hmm. And then you try to, you know, put all this together, as you're saying, and, and figure this out. At least on Zoom, I think there's a little bit of a barrier, too, because you still have the opportunity to find your way in, learn about these relationships without being right in person. So for some people, that's a little bit of a safety thing, too. You're right. And, you know, the, the new friends in sobriety, okay, what are they about? Well, first of all, just we can learn that we can go and have fun with people and laugh without a drink. That's a huge thing. Uh, second, that we can be accepted and, and liked without a drink. <laughs> That's a big thing. But also, um, when, you know, when the shit hits a fan, and we need to talk to somebody who's a pretty healthy person is not going to try to fix it for us or judge us. They're just going to listen. And our, our connections with women or those that are our supports in our new programs are really helpful for that. So do you remember the first time I remember the first time that I ever sat down and my experience was it was with a sponsor as well. Mm -hmm. And sitting down the very first time that I went to someone with a problem, I felt supported, I felt heard. And they wanted nothing from me. And I left, I was shocked. I had really had few experiences in my life that there wasn't something attached to it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it was, um, I, I couldn't even believe it that it was true. But and at the same time, I was so relieved. Me either. Yeah. And the other thing that scared the pants off of me, besides <laughs> connecting with other people, um, was I was concerned that if I got into recovery and tore off the Band-Aid of that pain that I knew was deep down inside of me, that it would all come gushing out at once and it would overwhelm me and I would maybe go crazy or something. I mean, I knew there was something wrong with me. I just didn't know what. <laughs> and so when I, you know, they do talk about this higher power thing, which I, you know, I, I just encourage people to not, think that you have to have a very traditional concept. It can be the universal intelligence. It can be your own true self that you know is down in there that's good and wise. You know, there's so many ways to think of something that can help us guide our lives and uh, comfort us and, and bring us good experiences um, other than just our own, like, you know, gripping on 
uh, so hard to life, our self-will, you know, trying to control and fix everything ourselves, just letting that loose a little and letting this higher power thing in does an amazing thing because what happened for me was instead of everything coming out all at once when I started recovery and started meetings, just the first layer was relieved, revealed to me. And that was the alcohol and the drinking. And I, you know, worked through that with the sponsor and steps and so on. And then later I found out, oh, there's another layer of healing. I grew up in a dysfunctional family. I'm a child of an alcoholic. Oh, look at all these things that <laughs> go on with me, the perfectionism and this and that. And then we work with that layer. And then only later, after quite a year's sobriety, I realized that there had been some sexual touching in my past also. So the point of that is that we don't have to worry about all the gunky stuff that we're afraid is down inside of us coming out all at once. Um, I think it's quite well regulated. <laughs> and don't you find, I found myself, like, you know, we refer to sometimes in program about the peeling of the onion. Yes. And, you know, I always found that it's hard to explain to people to trust the process when they're just starting. But for me, my experience was that for some reason, I never was kind of, not too much was ever revealed at one time, only what I could seem to handle. So that one layer, like you said, one layer would come off, but two, everything else didn't start unveiling itself until I seemed to be ready to be able to handle it and have the supports in place. And it just kind of took care of itself because, like you said, I only had to deal with the top layer. I didn't have to look at the whole thing. If I had to look at the whole thing, I would have just given up. But once I started on that first layer, like you're saying, and peeled that away, slowly I could see that it was going to be doable in small chunks. I didn't have to deal with everything all at one time. That's and I so think true. that's a fear with people is they think, you know, if I open this floodgate, mm -hmm. then it's never going to stop. And I will go crazy. But for me, I actually was crazy to begin with. <laughs> and, you know, so the fear of going crazy was actually kind of fictional because I already was not in my <laughs> right mind. And then once I started to peel the layers, I gradually got saner and saner. And that's calmer and calmer. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that was my experience with the layers. Mm -hmm. Yes. One of my mo most painful um, layers and areas of, you know, dysfunction was relationships. I had either lived with someone for two or more years or married them. Um, and by the time I was in my late 30s, I was uh, kind of looking at my third divorce. And that was a lot about the alcoholism. Um, and stopping drinking really did help. And then I began to look at what, well, my first inventory, the famous inventory, <laughs> revealed to me that um, my, the way I talked to myself in my head was so negative. I was all, and we've called them whispered lies in the last episode and in my book. But these are, you know, the little um, 
ingrained self-talk that's negative and self-demeaning and it's from old old tapes installed from a long time ago and so one of them you know was even uh could be around those layers you know i can't go into this because i'm a mess inside and it'll all come out or with connecting with women well i'm not worth a woman's time i'm not worth someone taking their time for me that's a whispered lie and even um you know i'll never have any fun again if i don't drink if i stop drinking that's a whispered lie so many of them they all boil down to you know i'm a piece of shit yeah <laughs> and um so i wanted to share um and that, the whispered lies also can be about other people you know he's an asshole this governor should do this you know it they take up our mind with all this negativity and judgment that's uh we have no control over really and We're also just... not to interrupt you Gigi, but no, do you not ahead. also agree to that for some people that maybe are thinking about this the first time it can also be what we kind of know and program as the committee yes you know where it all gets in session and all these voices are just, you know, coming up with basically, like you said, all the shit. Right. And telling us that that's So one of my... Yeah. Go ahead. So I'm sorry to interrupt. One of my famous whispered lies early on for me was, I will never be happy in a relationship. I always screw up relationships. There's something basically defective about me. My love, you know operation is is out of kilter so uh one of the things i did was someone suggested using affirmations i somehow i you know it was just a kind of a a big thing back then and yeah. uh it and it, it still is a big thing because there really is something to do it something to it so what i did was i took a little sticky note and i wrote on it i'm happy and healthy in uh, my marriage. I, I left it open. I didn't name whether it was my current husband or a future husband, because <laughs> I didn't know, you know, but, um, I had that little sticky there. I, I had it on my mirror and every time I'd see another couple walking together and being happy, I I'd have that whispered lie. Oh, that could never happen for me. I'm just too broken. And then I would say, wait a minute. And I'd say, Thank you, God, for this, or thank you for this happy, healthy relationship in my marriage. So I would catch the negative thought, the self-defeating thought, and I would replace it with the affirmation. And reinforce it. Exactly. So, you know, there's a whole science around the affirmations. You can make vision boards, you know, and I did that at one point. Uh, you know, a picture of me happy with a ring on my finger and happily smiling with the man, you know, and I, I focused on the vision board and said the affirmations. But the point was that um, it actually worked. About two years into therapy, I mean, into recovery, I had learned how to make female friends and not rely on men for my uh, self-worth. And I met a really nice man and I did not jump into his pocket and back pocket and live there, you know, and cut off all my female friends, which had been my pattern in the past. I actually 
only saw him twice a week because I wanted to put a governor on my own kind of love addiction. And I was in therapy and so on. But um, the beautiful thing is that I have been married to my fourth husband, Peter, for 32 years now. So, you know, these he's a, he's a result of the affirmation. Yes. And and for the whole recovery program of the of the healing of those whispered lies of letting women be loving toward me, of learning how to be honest with other women and not pretending to be what I wanted the man to be. You know, I learned how to heal a lot of the whispered lies. They still crop up at times, but I know how to deal with them. Um, and I'm so grateful for the relationship I have with my husband right now. And like you said, too, you know, um, we can kind of lead into the part we were discussing about earlier, too, which is that we can do all this with affirmations, try to correct or retrain our own thought process, right, into a more positive thought process. But the really important thing, I think, in recovery at any stage is to really select and be careful and mindful of who we surround ourselves with. Yes. The kinds of people that we have around us. And I know in my experience, I've been blessed with wonderful sponsorship my entire recovery. And um, three of the sponsors have now passed away and I have, uh, you know, but it just seems that with that trust, you always will. For me, I've had the right people at the right time around me. And sometimes they are presented in very unexpected places that I don't think I'm going to see them, but I always end up getting the right people around me. And that makes a difference because I've learned from experience that, you know, it's like if I'm going to sit in a bar all day and drink a diet Coke, eventually that environment's going to get to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I'm going to hang out with people that are negative thinkers or are not working on themselves in any level or are not trying to be positive people um, and be in some type of focused recovery, then, and they're not like-minded, well, then I'm, I might as well not go to meetings and do anything else if I'm going to then leave the meetings and surround myself with the wrong people. So for me, it's really talk, it's talking to the right people and being surrounded by the right people. And I don't have a large circle of people. I mean, after almost 40 years in the program, sure, I know a lot of people to say mm -hmm. hello to, but my circles are very small, but it's the right people. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I would talk to all, a lot of the wrong people. So like what you're saying is it's a whole process of that trust of getting those friends, then, you know, trusting in the process and then just surrounding ourselves with people that are engaging in healing and wellness. Right, right. Stick with the winners. Well, and it's pretty much what they would say, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's pretty simple. It's like, you know, it just takes one or two people that aren't like minded to throw the whole thing off. And yeah. I'm off my game because, you know, if I... I came in the program, I used to swear a lot and was proud of it. Well, if I'm around people who are swearing a lot on a regular basis or, you know, even frequently, it does not take me long to pick that up. So I'm really sensitive to environment and to picking things up. But today I'm aware of that. So that's why I'm really, really particular. 
about environment and people around me. I'm highly sensitive to language and to people around me. So I think that's really important, as you've said before, is uh, once we do get that trust, then trusting the right people. Yes. And, you know, it can be hard to find those people um, unless you're going to a program. And um, I, I do have an experience with one spiritual community that quite often um, is very welcoming and reasonable sounding to um, sober people, and that is the Unity Church. It's not Unitarian, it's Unity Church. And most big cities in the U.S. have them. Um, it's a spiritual but not religious, very positive. And um, I actually was invited to one, and I, I'll tell you, I hadn't been a churchgoer, and this couple was very nice to me and uh, at a meeting, and then they said, you might be interested in this, and I actually was. And um, oh my gosh, it opened up so many doors for me to uh, to entertain spiritual concepts that were positive and helpful. A lot of these tools, uh, one of them that's common in AA and of course in um, lots of communities that are striving to be positive is the golden key, which is a little technique that was written by Emmett Fox, who was the author of Sermon on the Mount from the 30s, which was one of the books being read by the guys who wrote the big book. <laughs> and so this simple little, um, you can Google the golden key uh, and you'll, you can get the PDF. It's just both sides of a page. It's not super long, but it's so useful for negative thinking or repetitive overthinking. And so the way he describes it is I'm having a negative thought. Oh, um, I'm driving in a rainstorm and oh my God, I'm not going to make it. And oh my God, this is scary. And what's going to happen? And then replacing those scary thoughts with one phrase that is reaffirming and reassuring to you, which doesn't have to be spiritual. I might say something like all is well, everything's fine. I'm being taken care of. or a person might recite the serenity prayer, or they might imagine a beautiful um, sunrise and the beauty of it and immerse themselves in that instead of what their mind is worrying about. So the way these techniques work, it's true of meditation too. Our mind can only think about one thing at once at any one time. So if we focus it on something positive, loving, or quiet, like in meditation, it doesn't have as much room to generate all those negative thoughts. Oh, gosh, what's going to happen here? And so on. Those are very powerful techniques. And ways to interrupt the negative thought. Mm -hmm. Because even if we takes us a while to get it down to where we have our little mantra or whatever we come up with, we're still having an awareness to break the negative thought exactly and even if it's pause mm -hmm. even if i had to start off you know when the negative thinking would be so bad sometimes i and of course with anxiety disorder sometimes that's a challenge sometimes all i could do is i couldn't even get as far as the mantra yet 
in the beginning, I could just go mm-hmm. pause, pause. And it broke the thought up and gave me nice. time to kind of turn it around. But then eventually I could get to the um, all as well. And I'm looked after or taken care of, you know, but if a person is worried that, you know, they're not at that stage, even just hitting the pause button and saying mm-hmm. pause out loud will break up the thinking. Nice. Nice. So, so much. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, so much of it about is in early recovery, especially is about um, self-compassion. So let's say we had a little sister who was going to a family event with people who'd been kind of nasty to her, and we were talking to her. We wouldn't say the things to her that we often say to ourselves, which is, you know, what the hell's wrong with you? Why are you afraid of these people? And what's wrong with them anyway? (laughs) You know, if we were speaking to ourselves like we would a little sister, we would say, you know, it could be a little challenging, so let's make sure we think about how to take good care of ourselves. What can you do to make sure you feel better? You know, I love you. Can I go with you? You know, there's and you know that's so true because the negative thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we said, which we don't, but if we said to anybody what we say to ourselves, mm-hmm. Uh, we'd probably be uh, arrested for harassment. (laughs) We would be, you know, there would be consequences because you could just couldn't go around talking to people like we talk to ourselves. Exactly. Uh, It would be considered mental and verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but with ourselves, you know, it's, it's somehow, I think the sickness and the disease is it becomes acceptable to us. And to accept that type of talk from ourselves. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, but if we did it on any other levels, there'd be consequences. You're right. And we would never do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, I think the self-talk sometimes is so harsh. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, when you, I would hear years past that, you know, we are in our own way or we are, you know, creating most of our own problems. I really believe that with the self-talk today. That's right. Once yeah. that self-talk's eliminated, things change. Right. Yeah, the, the gal that wrote a, a bestseller book about self-compassion is Kristen Neff, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, Neff, N-E-F-F. And, uh, it's, and she has, you know, on her website, she has some free guided meditations and on I love self-guided, or not self-guided, but guided by another voice meditations. Like, you Anything know, you, but our own voice. Yeah, that's right. And to reprogram my voice in my head with guided meditations that, you know, will tell me, you know, everything's fine or let go, or they're just beautiful ones that can you know, my mind is just stuck in old habitual thought patterns that are no longer true, really. And so I think the sound of the voice is important. Like, yes, I never thought of that because, you know, I can know something and hear it in my own head, in my own voice. But you can say it. Charlie could say it. Um, my sponsor could say it and I'm going to hear it differently. Good point. So I think half the time it is our own voice just rattling around in our head. And, you know, we just can't hear ourselves for ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) So again, we're back to self, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Well, Gigi, you know what? I mean, the book is so extensive. There's so many tools and there's so many things there uh, in the book. And I, I really think that for people to really you know, grasp all the tools that you have. I think, you know, at any stage of sobriety, as I said, I've been sober a long time, but I have anxiety that I manage each and every day that affects my life. And so, and negative thinking. So I think it's helpful to anybody. So the thing is, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you tip or anything else you want to close with? And then you can go ahead and do so. And then I'll ask you to give us the website and some information on the book group mm -hmm. and uh, how people can get in touch with you. And um, so I'll let you just kind of lead us out with that. Mm. And I want to thank you so, so much for making time in your busy schedule. You're a busy lady. And not only to come once to the podcast, but twice. And it's always an honor to spend time with you and, and hear about, you know, this wonderful book. Thank you, Denise. I love our connection. So I guess the last thing to, to leave with is, I don't know that we all realize that we have 100% control over what our minds dwell upon. We actually do. It's an active choice every minute what my mind dwells upon. And I can choose what I want to dwell upon, something positive or negative, every moment. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Well, everything is a conscious decision. If whether yep. to drink, yep. not drink, to go to a meeting, not go to a meeting, to have a sponsor, not have a sponsor, ask for help, not ask for help. So it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But yep. then that puts the onus on us to do the work. Right. And that's why hanging with the winners helps because they're demonstrating the kind of thinking and the kind of um, actions that we want to have because those things are keeping those people happy like you and I are and in lovely relationships and thriving even though times can be challenging. And that's what we want. So if we we have to hang out with the people who have what we want. <laughs> well, and, you know, I'm forever grateful for those who have gone before me. And, mm -hmm. uh, of course, you know, that's why I'm doing the podcast is that my sponsor had died suddenly six months ago and mm -hmm. was 53 years sober when she died. And she lived oh. a life of, you know, love and service. And she showed, was a trailblazer, you know. She showed mm. people and showed women, but also showed showed people period that if we do whatever our daily practice is each and every day and we are disciplined to do it and we hang out with the winners like you said we surround ourselves with the appropriate people and ask for help and we trust and we peel those layers apart that we can if we do that in all our affairs that we can live mm -hmm. a life beyond our wildest dreams and so you know the whole point of the podcast is have people like you have been sober 32 years, five, 35, 35 years. So between the two of us, I mean, you know, here we are with 35 mm. and 38 years sober. Mm. And so just two people. So it can be done under any and all circumstances. And I think that, you know, I could not do it. Like you said, at the beginning of the podcast, you know, how people do it outside of any, 
discipline or even forget what program or anything that they participate in. Just participate in something with somebody because, you know, we can always do what I can't do by myself. And like, if I don't engage with others, I don't get to see the people ahead of me tell me what's ahead. I don't get to see how they evolve and how they, you know, have handled situations. And that's how I learned to do it myself. So, you know, people like you've gone ahead of me, then I can check, check in with you. Well, what do I do with this? So I can't imagine doing this whole journey, a person on their own. So there's lots of help out there, no matter what program you do. And uh, definitely, Gigi, let people know now how to order the book, because I highly recommend the book will help anybody. (laughs) Thank you. It's uh, my website is simple, G-I-G-I-L-A-N-G-E-R, gglanger.com. And on there, it gives the title of the book, and there's a little drop-down buy menu, and you can get it, the print version, for about half of what Amazon sells it for. And if you're in the U.S., I offer free shipping and a personalized signed copy. But it's also available on ebook and audiobook. And uh, I also do some uh, a book study with my book that's limited to eight women. And I'll be offering one of those in January. It goes for five weeks, once a week. And uh, so I'll be announcing that on Facebook and Twitter and my website and so on. And um, so if you're interested, I'm sure you'll run across it. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for someone to work through the book and Mm -hmm. actually, you know, do some of the personal work themselves. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, good. And um, thank you so much, Gigi, for your time. And, you know, I wish you well with all that you're doing. I know you do so much for the recovery community. And I look forward to talking to you soon. And thank you so much for sharing some of these tips again with us today and coming back and doing GG part two. Thanks, Denise. It was really fun, as it always is. (laughs) Talk soon. All right. Love you.